Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Hear these words. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. So Micaiah and Gabriel, uh, they have just started doing jujitsu over there at uh, Triad Martial Arts over there across the interstate. And something I've noticed about the big kids class is one of the reasons we signed them up uh, in the first place. So the instructor, they, they show Micaiah what she needs to know uh, to do the exercises when it comes to the shoulder rolls and the shrimp grills and all the other fun little jujitsu things that they do. But a larger part of exercise time is watching the other kids and learning to do what they do and just kind of repeating what, what they are doing. And see, the interesting thing about jujitsu, uh, even for adults, is the instructor can show the class a move all day long. But it's a completely different story when you try to do the same thing for yourself. Like it isn't until you get out there with your partner and you try to do the move that you realize how much you've missed during the lesson. And while the instructor gives you the space to figure it out with your partner, they're also right there alongside you, ready to help you fine tune your understanding as you go. And what, um, what I love most about Gabriel's class is that there's one head instructor, but all the other teachers in there, they aren't adults. They're some of the kids from the big kids class. See, those who have learned have now been tasked with teaching those who are just beginning. And that's why we're there. It's an atmosphere of not just learning for yourself, but also in order that you may be able to teach others also. It's a community that hands down its wisdom and its instruction from generation to generation. And that's the same question we should ask ourselves in each generation as the church. Why are you here? What have you learned? And with whom are you sharing that information? So disclaimer number one this morning, we're about to go all over the place in Scripture. That's okay. Stick with me. I want to show you how all the threads are connected. See, our passage this morning is short, but it has massive implication for who we are and how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, the weight of that statement is, is among some of the most humbling realities Jesus says that we are to live into as his followers. And there's absolute joy and strength in the, in the very next words of Christ. For when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. But do you remember the words of our Lord's teaching in Luke 4, where he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to re, uh, send, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us that Christians are supposed to be ambassadors of the gospel. 
and an ambassador is an official representative of a given nation. And as Christ has a kingdom that is not of this world, and as we are co-heirs with Christ, we too belong to the kingdom of God, and therefore we are only able to present the message and the example as given by Christ our King. And so what is the message that, of Christ that we are bound to? Well, John's gospel makes it plain that God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so let us not get confused. Jesus calls people to repentance, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And he says that if a person rejects him, it separates that person from God, John 14. And it teaches, uh, Jesus also teaches that there will be an eternal separation from the sheep and the goats, between the good seeds and the weeds, Matthew 25 and Matthew 13. But Jesus' ministry was not one of hellfire and damnation, but of new birth, life-giving spirit, and eternal restoration with God. And Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth reminds us that God reconciled himself to us through Christ in order that we might have a ministry of reconciliation so that through the salvation of Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so I want to unpack a, a word for you this morning that's become a negative uh, word today in the church and life and ministry of the church, and that word is evangelism. But just like Wesley insisted on the term Christian perfection because that's the word the Bible used, you're going to hear me use and insist on the term evangelism. Here's why. Well, in the Bible, the ministry of evangelism is directly tied to the gospel. Now, I have a graphic for all of you visual people. Where's, do we have the graphic pulled up? There it is. All right, there's the graphic. Okay, so stick with me here. The gospel, the good news. Remember, the, the uh, New Testament's originally written in Greek, and so the Greek word here. The gospel, the good news, in Greek is euangelion. And to proclaim that gospel, the word is euangelizo. And so a person who proclaims the gospel is called euangelistes. So disclaimer number two with all the eyeballs looking at me. No, I don't care if you know the Greek. And I don't think God cares if you know the Greek. But I show it to you and I think it's going to be helpful for your understanding and for your, your growing in the knowledge and love of God. Because when we look at our English Bibles, you say, well, okay, pastor, uh, good news, evangelism. Those words don't seem to necessarily depend on one another. And so this is like, hey, I'm not making this up. Uh, it's right there uh, in the original language of the scriptures. And so here we go one more time. Evangelism. Euangelizo is the act by which the good news, gospel, euangelion, is proclaimed by an evangelist, euangelistes. All right, Greek lesson is over. You can join me now. All, all two of you are happy that you got the lesson. Good. So to put it another way, to get rid of the ministry of evangelism is to get rid of the gospel, for one compels the other. 
In Mark 1, Jesus heals several people at Peter's house, and they try to get him to stay there to heal more people. And I don't know about you, but if I've got a successful healing ministry going on, and there's more people in town who need that healing, it's reasonable to want to stay there and continue the ministry. But Jesus answered them and said, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I might proclaim the message there also, for that is what I have come out to do. And I know what your hang-up is, right? Evangelism is most often thought of as proselytizing people with the loudish tactics of the street corner, turn or burn, get right with God or go to hell preachers who have blatantly ignored the teaching of Matthew 9, 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so when we narrow our vision of evangelism to coercive conversations, it carries an inherent risk of spreading fear and damnation rather than the grace and the love of God. The redemptive, grace-filled love of God is the only foundation for our proclamation of Jesus Christ. And what this means is that inviting people into the redemptive work of God requires that we explicitly proclaim the gospel. There it is. I'll I'll do it again for you, Kyle, so you can get the YouTube uh, shot. What this means is that inviting people into the redemptive work of God requires that we verbally and explicitly proclaim the gospel. Because the only thing that separates the church from any other humanitarian organization is the life-transformative power of Jesus Christ. It is a cup of cold water in Jesus' name that makes the difference. And yes, Jesus most often met people's physical needs before he healed them spiritually. But it was the spiritual healing that spread Christ, that separated Christ's kingdom from any other kingdom on earth. So ambassadors of God's reconciliation, by their very nature, are inspired to become agents of change toward the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been paying attention to the goings-on over the past few years in our country, but we can no longer assume that people know Jesus or the gospel. This may have been true somewhat uh, a few decades ago, but we are increasingly becoming a nation that is unchurched and that is illiterate in the Bible. And that's not a condemnation on anyone. That's just a reality of where we are, and that's just a reality of what the mission field looks like. And too many people today think that they have to be a certain way before they can come to church or before God will accept them. And so our mission is to carry the message that this is a lie from the adversary. You do not have to be a certain way before you come to church. Rather, we come to church to become a certain way in Christ. And you're going to want to take notes here. Write this down, right? The world won't start coming back to church until the church starts going back out into the world. I'll say it again. The world won't start coming back to church until the church starts going back out into the world. 
And I'm growing increasingly convinced that we struggle with missions and evangelism so much in our churches because we believe the lie that, what, that we must be called to a specific mission field before we can engage with our evangelistic endeavors instead of understanding evangelism as a way of life rather than a special calling or program. The Christian, by its very identity, is a missionary. By the nature of your baptism, you have been called and you have been commissioned by the risen Lord to spread the gospel. The ministry of evangelism and mission are not synonymous with having a seminary degree, and they cannot be regulated to a single department of the church. They are given to the priesthood of all believers, 1 Peter 2 and 3 teaches. Because when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this gift is not just for professionals or vocational missionaries. The Holy Spirit is a gift for each and every one of you. And our salvation in Christ is not an end, but a beginning. You are a conduit through whom the life-saving power of the gospel is meant to flow to someone else. And we got to understand that evangelism does not stop with an invitation to accept Jesus. That's like half, maybe. But evangelism also invites people into a community of faith. So as people began to respond to the saving invitation of God's free gift through Jesus Christ, it is the church's responsibility to engage with people in an ongoing relationship of discovering God's grace together. Wesleyan professor Hal Knight teaches that in the Methodist tradition, evangelism means developing relationships with people and bringing them into a different type of community. And so in the spirit of John Wesley, we might call that relational evangelism. Perhaps it'd be better to talk about what we're after here is a relational evangelism. And just like our relationships with Jesus took time, so will our relationships with one another. Yet even though we grow tired and weary and stumble and fall with our walk with God, greater grace remains. And as God walks with us through the journey towards Christian perfection, He never gives up on us as we make mistakes. And what that teaches us is that we should express nothing less to our neighbors as we create and form relationships with them by sharing God's love with them from one experience to the next. Relational evangelism is a holistic journey of faith whereby we grow in the knowledge and love of God and commit to live out God's love in the world. And this is probably the only, uh, uh, the only other reason, uh, not, not the only other, but one of the main ones that we're so hesitant to engage in our evangelistic calling. We are insecure about telling the story. So we don't want to do it, right? But uh, people ask me, you know, well, why'd you go to Cambodia? Weren't you scared? What, what kind of training did you have? Weren't you nervous? And I just, I have to plead ignorance there, right? The only training I had was what God had done in my life and my response to what God was calling me to do. And the only other thing 
The only other reason I went is I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. There's nobody in this room that needs me to teach you how to talk about your kids or your grandkids. Heck, there's nobody in this room that needs me to teach you how to talk about your pets. You're going to tell us about it whether we ask you or not. Right? Why? Well, our stories are how we tell people who we are, where we came from, and where we are going. And we must tell the story of God in our lives gently, but also boldly. And telling the story of our lives without talking about Jesus is not an option for those who live by his word and those whose lungs are filled with the breath of his spirit. We are the living narrative of God's unfolding love. And the aim of our living narrative, this is a big one, stick with me, the aim of our living narrative is to bring a declaration of the good news in such a way that the world understands the nature and character of God's transforming work on the human soul to be radically different from anything else that is claiming to bring fulfillment and meaning to their lives. I stole that out of one of my seminary papers. You want me to give it to you again? Yeah, okay, yeah. The other, uh, the other service needed it again too. The aim of our living narrative is to bring a declaration of the good news in such a way that the world understands the nature of God's transforming work on our human soul to be radically different from anything else claiming to bring fulfillment and meaning in our lives. We have not only been saved for eternity, but we have been given new desires and new passions and a new purpose for this life. We no longer look within ourselves for fulfillment in life. We look outside of ourselves to a well that never runs dry. And what we find is an assurance that we are forgiven and redeemed in order to do the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, 5. And some of you have been hung up on something since I started. And you're right. It's not all about talk, right? You might even quote to me James 2, 17. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Good. And so this quite naturally brings us to the third anxious question we use to avoid our evangelistic passions that God places on our hearts. Well, as I walk through all this faith stuff in my life, and we, you know, are there certain actions, Pastor, that, that Christ would have me pursue as I grow in love with God and neighbor in this world? That's not what you all sound like, just, just Luke. Um, and I'm glad you asked. Yes, there are certain actions, certain things we can be doing as we grow in love with God and with neighbor. And that's why last week during our Wesley lesson, we looked at the works of piety and that's one side of the means of grace. Those help grow us in love with God. And this week, Wednesday, 6 o'clock in the confirmation room, we're looking at the other side of the means of grace, the works of mercy. These are the ways we express God's love to the world. They are the work that we do in the world as a result of the work that God has done in our hearts. 
And interestingly enough, Wesley, with all his insistence on the Holy Club meeting and his insistence on the works of piety, right, read your Bibles, go to church, pray, 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 with all of that, Wesley would say, be zealous for the works of mercy, that when one would interfere with the other, then when it came to your Bible reading or your neighbor, when you choose the neighbor, choose the neighbor, choose the works of mercy over the works of piety. But Wesley would undoubtedly point you to this one fact, lest you all come to me. Well, I couldn't go to church, Pastor. I was at my neighbor's house. Sorry. Wesley would remind you. He said, the, the only reason you can love your neighbor as yourself, the only way you can love them as God has loved you, is precisely as a result of your personal time with God for one compels the other. Remember, you have been saved here and now expressly so that you might be the hands and the feet of Christ to a hurting and broken world, but it is in Christ where we get our strength for the journey. And so throughout this disaffiliation process, many of you have asked about the, the ramifications the our decision would have on the larger institution, the broader institution of the United Methodist Church. And the fact of the matter is that the calling that compels us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth does not have denominational strings attached to it. And so as we remain a church in the Wesleyan tradition, we know that one of the core tenets of Methodism is its connectionalism. It's our ability to come alongside one another and to do ministry with one another. And so Trinity is going to continue to support ministries like the United Methodist Children's Home or UMCOR. But we are also able to use our remaining resources in new ways, discerning, discovering other organizations that we can partner with to share the love and the grace of God to the ends of the earth. We are still doing work with TMS Global to develop our strategic plan for outreach, identifying ways to strengthen our impact in our local community. One of those local organizations is The Well, right here in Ruston, which is gonna provide support for foster care families. We've also just recently entered into a new partnership through Compassion International, where we're gonna support a local church in Rwanda provide educational opportunities, spiritual growth, some health care needs to the children in those surrounding villages. And I think today is the last day that we have those cards available. So if you want to support one of those children, uh, make sure you talk to Marie today uh, and, and get signed up and get hooked up with everything that's going on in our new Rwandan venture. Now, that was, that's not an exhaustive list, right? That's, this is only the beginning of what God has planned for the ministry and missions of Trinity Methodist Church of Ruston. The God who saves us is a God of relationship. And we cannot live this life, nor this life of faith, in isolation. Each of us has a unique utterance of the image of God within us. And this is all tied together by the foundational love of our triune God as the author and the perfecter of our life and of our faith. So part of thinking about uh, relationally about evangelism means seeing our everyday interactions as part of the mission field.
It means forming relationships with people and letting God use us as the guiding light that points people to the way that will bring them from death to life. It means sharing the story of our faiths in word and in deed with a bold humility and creating communities of discipleship that transforms our lives with God and one another from each generation to the next. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for the work you have already done. Continue to open our hearts and our minds to the work you are continuing to do within us. Raise within us a passion, a boldness to tell our stories, to spread your gospel to the ends of the earth, and to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, who has overcome every obstacle we could think or imagine. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.